Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Today's date is January the 1st, 2008, and we're in week 16 of the Quest for Authentic Manhood. Today, our lesson is entitled Genesis and Manhood Part 2, as our men's minister, Eric Reed, continues our study. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, and uh, we're going to get the, the sort of cliff note version today of, of sort of Genesis chapter 3. And just want to say to y'all that uh, as they talked about the manhood plan, it's not just something to check off the box and don't wait. It is that struggle and the process that actually bears the fruit. And so just know that and, and take it at the pace you're able to take it. And there's going to be questions that connect with you that the other ones you don't really struggle with or wrestle with. Well, let God lead you in that process because... The testimonies of the men that went through and did that last year and are seeking to live that out now, it's, it's, really, it's really great. And we will hear from some of those men over the next several weeks. Um, I want to jump in with, with the second part here of, if I can get this rolling right. Yeah, with, with Genesis and manhood. And last week, Pastor Greg sort of talked about the idea of the myth, not meaning the untrue story, but really the epic story of, of who man is created by God, and, and I want to review real quickly with that, and we're going we're gonna to jump through a couple of these in review. There we go. That, uh, there is a DNA of man, and it is for leadership, that, that men were designed to be leaders. And in that, that doesn't mean that when we go home, it's sort of like we're the king of the castle, and, and we're sort of el presidente, and, and every lady needs to do our beck and call. And in fact, there's a story of a man a couple of years ago was going to a, a marriage retreat, and at the marriage retreat, the, the speaker sort of went over the top on the role of a man as the leader of the home, and he really stressed the man is to be the leader. And the way it came across was almost like this militaristic, you know, the guy that gets what he wants all the time. Well, of course, the husband was just blown away. He had never really heard that. He was like, I was raised in the 80s, so, you know... Men are supposed to be sensitive. You can't, really be, you can't really tell a lady what to do or you're going to get in serious trouble. So he really eats that up. And on the way home, he's sitting there, Honey, honey, what did you think about the speaker? This is incredible. I mean, I think we want to line our house up with the Word of God and, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be the, the, the king of this castle. And this is, is incredible. And she just sat there silently the whole time. And for 40 minutes, he's driving across the city talking about all the good things and all the power he now has. And by the time they got home, she hops out of the car and slams the door. And he, he sort of wakes up and he's like, what's going on? She goes in and slams the door of the house. And he, he runs and says, honey, what is going on? I'm the king of this house. And we are going to do it the right way. And this is unacceptable behavior. And he didn't see her for three weeks. He didn't see his wife. And then after that, just out of the corner of his eye, he started to see her just a little bit as the swelling, as the swelling went down. And so as we, as we think about this, we don't want to take leadership to the idea of domination. And so that very first thing I want us to hit is that male domination is a personal moral failure. It's not a teaching of the Bible. So when we talk about leadership, we're going to say there's a huge difference. Don is going to take the next two weeks, he's going to look at the life of Christ. And so we're going to see in the life of Christ, it's not about domination, and in our lives, if we're moving toward domination, if our wives see us in that role of demanding, 
that tells us one thing. It tells us we're probably not walking in the step of biblical manhood. We're probably walking in the world's idea of leadership, and we've seen it in corporate America. We've seen it in the political side of America. We've seen it in academic America, even, that it's the abusive side of power is not what we're talking about today. And so as we, as we move through here, we're talking about nobility, and we're talking about honor. We're talking about service. We're talking about things that call other people up, that make other people better. Does that make sense? So that's, I want to frame this up because you, know, you can leave here and, and your wife is going to be, or, you're, you know, or down the road your wife would say, well, I don't want to be dominated. No woman wants to be dominated. That's not what we're talking about. I want to give real quickly the idea that Adam was created first by God. God spoke to Adam first. God commissioned Adam first. And then God calls her helper. And to let you know that that word helper is not a derogatory negative term. Now, if we go home and I tell my wife, honey, you're my helper. You know, Valentine's Day is going to be here in less than a month. That's not going to score me a whole lot of points with my wife at all. Helper in our term today seems subservient. It seems a lesser than. It seems like, well, that's not very great. In Scripture, there are three people that are called the helper using that same word in the Old Testament. And it's, it's Yahweh, it's going to be the Messiah, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. And so when we say helper, this is a high term. It's a noble term. It's a term that with it brings, honestly, a, a sense of magnificence. You know, that my wife is my helper is a compliment. She's not my competitor. She's my compliment. She's my helpmate. She's not my hasslemate. You know, so we're not, we're not button heads here, but we're building each other up. And that's sort of the spirit of, of what we looked at last week. And now some things I want us to look at here is, is Genesis 2. There's two more points underneath here. And, and number one is that, that Adam names his helper. It says, And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The, the Hebrew word for man is ish. And as he names woman, it's Isha. That she's an extension of him. And that they had, in a sense, there was this common element. If you remember that, that Adam had before him all the animals that were created were brought before him, and he names all of them, and he's alone, it's not good. And God even affirms it's not good. And so I believe this whole deal, when when. Adam sees Eve for the first time and he gets to name her. It's an excited Adam. It's not a Isha. But it's for the first time. It's like inside he's like he came alive. He's like, wow, you're not a monkey. You're not a hippopotamus. You're not a water buffalo. You're you're like me. You're flesh of my flesh. You're bone of my bone. You're different. You're my helper. You're Isha. And I believe there was this, I mean, can you sort of get there and understand that? I mean, he had seen all the animals, named all of them. So, so for this, Adam names his helper. It is a position of authority he's given in doing that, but it's not domination in him doing that. So I want to I move on here to the next spot. It is the man who is told to leave and initiate a new household that he's to leave and initiate a new household. And in the verse Genesis 2.24, lots of weddings use this. 
My wedding uses, probably every, I don't know if every wedding uses it, but it says, for this reason, a man, not a lady, a man shall leave her father, his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And this idea, and y'all can write this down, to leave is to lead. To leave is to lead. There's a thing, I can't remember the name of it. I was reading an article, and it was in the Wall Street Journal. This was probably a couple of months ago, but it was talking about sort of the new, there's a new term now for, for young, young men that basically go off to college, and then they come back home and live there. And that's sort of like, well, what's your plan? Well, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to come back and live at home for a while. Now, obviously, there, there's lots of reasons that happen. Some of them are totally valid reasons. The flip side is, if that's the goal, if that's the target, they're not growing as leaders at all. They're not preparing themselves to have their own family. There is an aspect. You've got to cut those strings. And so some of you, as you do your manhood plan, you may discover that whether it's your mom or your dad, maybe you're so dependent on them, and you could be married and dependent on them. It could be financial, but it could be also, I just need them to tell me, that I'm great all the time. Not like Lang shared one time or two times, but just all the time. If they're not telling me I'm a great son, I, I just waffle in my manhood. I'm like, well, you're not going to get that, you know? At some point, we take the blessing from our family, and even if they don't bless us, even if they curse us, we've received a greater blessing from God. And we receive it, and we walk in that that he's called us and adopted us, right? He's adopted us into his family. And so this idea here of leaving and cleaving is the initiation of a man. And so in, in, a, in a wedding ceremony, what that's going to look like, in a wedding ceremony, what that's going to look like is the man's going to be in there first, right? And he's already waiting for the wife to come in. The wife doesn't come in first, and then the husband. The husband's initiating even at the altar, and so last week, this is summarizing on the, the first two chapters, chapter one was that global view of creation. Chapter two zooms in, and it looks at sort of a close-up of the creation of, of, of man and lady a little bit, and then chapter three zooms in even more and gets a super tight focus on man, lady, and we're going to call the event the fall, and we're going to look at that chapter, chapter three, right now, because it gives us a picture of, of Adam as a leader. And we're going to see very quickly that in Genesis 3, the temptation is going to seek to corrupt and reverse God's original social and spiritual order. And it was going to distort God's intentional plan of manhood. It's going to turn it upside down. And we're going to discover, when we look, we're going to look in the book of Romans a little bit, what happens in Adam is going to echo down the line in the lives of, of us as men. Not to excuse us and excuse domination, but we're going to see where that plays out because of the fall. And so let's look in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, is that what God said? No. He didn't say you can't eat of any tree. Remember, He said you can eat of every tree. 
except that one right there. Just that. That's the one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're, you're not to partake of that. You're free to enjoy the fruit of every other tree. 99.9% of what I've created, you are to enjoy and feast on. And I'm only asking you to take 0.1% and it's set aside and it's there for you to show your love and your diligence, your obedience. And it's, I'm safeguarding you right now. So immediately we see the serpent sort of twist God's words here. And the woman said to the serpent, and this is really good, she corrects him. Well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. Haha, you know, showing you. But from the, tree of the, the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, is that what God said? If you look back, we don't have time to look, but if you look back, it's not. God said, not about touching it, just eating it, you shall die. So what Eve has done is she's taken the Word of God and she's added something to it. And often we add things to it. In fact, in, in religion, there's a relationship, Christianity, but there's a religious side of Christianity where people sort of drop lines like, well, you're not supposed to dance and you can't play cards and you can't... And I'm like, they, they layer stuff over God's Word and they create something that has nothing to do with a relationship with Christ. And it ends up being detrimental. And we're going to see for her, she created a false law and it's ultimately going to be detrimental for her because she's going to discover there's no consequence to touching the fruit, which then means, well, maybe there's no consequence to eating the fruit. Right? And so we're going to see, it says, And the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die, for God knows that in the, in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. I wanna, we're going to zoom in and pull this thing apart. But remember this, Eve at the very beginning did not receive the word of God at all. If you remember in Genesis 2, God gave the word to Adam... Later, he created Eve from Adam. She never directly received the Word of God, right? And yet she got it wrong. That either means Adam didn't fully teach her, right? Adam might have got it wrong. Or Adam didn't even want to correct her because he's standing right there. And we're going to look at why maybe Adam was silent in the midst of this. And so here's a picture from the Sistine Chapel and we're going to look at some of the scenes here because this is sort of the, the depiction we're supposed to have of what's going on. But first I want you all to notice the serpent. And in here, the, the serpent is clearly, he's the enemy of the first family. He's not there to accomplish anything other than two divisions. The division between God and humanity and the division between a man and a lady. And he seeks in this to divide both of them. And he is, here it's like, Adam should have put himself between the woman and the serpent, right? I mean, what man, if, if your wife is being obviously, in a, in a sense, assaulted, obviously being tempted, obviously being brought down, 
What man wouldn't just step up and say, you know, enough. God didn't say we could have this or that, and this isn't what we're going to do. Depart from us, serpent. This is my wife. This is my helpmate. I'm going to protect her. You get away. He could have stood up at that moment and done that, correct? And yet he does absolutely nothing here. There's no initiation here. And there's a word for that. It's passivity. Adam is passive. And it's going to be the same temptation we're going to face as men. And as we look down the road, shunning passivity for a man is the first step in really being a biblical man is stepping away from passivity and saying, I am going to engage in the battle at hand. Whether that's in raising my children, having purity in my dating relationships, doing my business dealings with integrity, whatever that is, I'm not going to waffle. I'm going to be assertive, and I'm going to have character, and I'm going to be Christ-like. Does that make sense? Adam failed that test of passivity. And now, at the end of this, Eve has been bombarded. She's misquoted the Word of God. Adam didn't even correct her when she did that. And then, at the end, she's already partaken of the tree, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she turns to her husband, offers it, and what does he do? He ate it. Do you see the inversion? God created Adam to lead Eve. God created Adam to show her the way. Adam walked uprightly with God in the garden day after day after day. We don't enjoy that benefit, the face-to-face. You won't see face-to-face with a human You'll see Moses put in the cleft of the rock and God goes by it and you'll see the entire nation of Israel say, Moses, you go and be with God and we'll stay way out here. Then you'll see it develop in the, in the tabernacle that, that one man, one day out of the year, goes into the Holy of Holies and doesn't even see God face to face. Just the Shekinah glory of God is there and it's a frightening experience, Right? And that's why Christmas is so beautiful. Emmanuel, God is with us. God's saying, you know, enough of this separation. Enough of men being passive. I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem. And, and we're going to get our definition in the next two weeks of manhood from Jesus, the second Adam. But for us right now, we see that Adam is a follower, not a leader. He's passive, not active. He's not courageous. He's being a coward. And that story gets played out in thousands of homes across America every day. And it gets played out for single men and how they choose their free time, how they choose to socialize with ladies. They come to church, and are they going to step up and be leaders in the church? And married men, it's played out for us too. It plays out when we come home and we're tired. Do we step up and engage on the home front? Do we discipline the children? Do we set a spiritual tone in the home? Are we going to lead a devotion in our family? Are we going to pray for our wives? Are we going to affirm the gifts that God has put in our children, our wives, other brothers in Christ that are sitting around here? Are we going to be men that lead and pray and spur one another on to righteousness and good deeds? Or are we going to be like Adam? Whatever happens, happens. 
and you can make fun of the Word of God. That's cool. I don't want to cause any problems. I, I don't be holier than thou. I don't, I'm like, somewhere in there, <laughs> we lost it, and we miss it. And I think God's calling us back to something more than just the average American man life. Does that make sense? And so in here, I want to see that Adam is the one that God is going to come to here and hold accountable. Not the woman. Isha is not held accountable. Adam is held accountable. That doesn't mean that sin, that Eve did not sin at all. But what it means is that God had leadership bestowed upon Adam. And guess who he's coming for? Adam. You know, uh, Bill, Bill Bilicek uh, got let go up from the Ravens. Uh, he got fired, right? Head coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He went 13-3 and two seasons ago or whatever. He signed a four-year extension a year ago. And they let him go because they went like 5-8 and eight or 5-and whatever, 5-9. and nine. It was the worst season they've had in 10 years. And they fire him. Well, he never threw an interception. He never fumbled the ball. He never missed a tackle. He, but he's the coach. <laughs> he's responsible for the performance of the team on the field. And CEOs get fired all the time. And my brother has, has sort of moved in, and he's, he's the president of his company now. And he told me, he was like, it is a dog-eat-dog, dog, day in, day out, no rest existence right now. He feels like he's got 50 bullseyes on him. And that if everything's not going great, and, he, and he's trying to make a lifestyle decision here. He loves the pay. He loves the stock options. And he loves all those benefits, but his personal life right now is not at all what he wants. And would it be better to make less money without having all the bullseyes? But isn't that the heart of Adam here? Adam is here. He's the one that God's going to come for. Adam, your wife. Adam, you. Adam, your children. And I think at judgment, I think the thing that scares me, that makes me nervous, the thing that when we had our fourth kid, I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know? Four kids and a wife, and I'm going to have to give an account for all of them. I better walk with God. I better cry out to God every day. I better get in His Word. I better have brothers in Christ around me to hold me accountable. Right? We better. We need that. We will be held accountable. I believe that with all my heart. And so here's what it says. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Where are you? So this idea of accountability is huge. And I want to move on that Adam's sin has an unacceptable passivity attached to it. We've sort of hit this already. we sort of hit this already, but notice this. I want you to picture in your mind sort of the man's man, the biggest, strongest man you know. I want you to picture him, and I want you to picture what would he say if he's failed morally and God came to him it says, and God says to man, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? The strongest man you know. And I have a feeling that the courageous, strong man that you know 
would probably say, God, I did, and, and I'm wrong. You know, forgive me. Forgive me, God. And he'd humble himself down before his maker, and he would receive the grace of God. But Adam, already being passive, already following his Isha, his helper now is his leader, and he is the helper, inverted the whole order, and look at what Adam says. And the man said, The woman whom you gave me, she gave to me, and I ate. You might as well put a V on his forehead for victim, right? It's not his fault. Hey, he, listen. God, you're the one that drafted her in the first round of the draft. If you didn't put her on my team, if you would have made Eve a little bit better, I would have been okay, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'm sort of you know, naked, you know, and, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. But that's not what happened at all. He, he hid from God as a coward, missing the joy of walking with Christ. How many of us have done that before? How many of you all have missed the joy of walking with Christ? All of us, right? I mean, isn't that what repentance is? That the joy of repentance is that when we finally get it right and we humble ourselves before God, He does something. He lifts us up, not to crush us, but to hold us, to walk with us. Last night I was here with my kids, and our, our two-year-old Kate is just like a, she's like a miniature Chris Farley, but she's a girl, but she looks like Chris Farley. She's sort of got that little stocky body, and she's got a spunky personality. And, and I took her outside because she started climbing up on the stage, and she wouldn't finally sit still, and she'd already eaten. I take her out, and she gets up on that ledge out there, and it's sort of, it's like this tall, and it's brick. And I flashed back to my first daughter, Emma, did the exact same thing, and I just sort of was like, oh, that's so neat, that's cool, she's walking on the bricks, you know, and, and I remember she fell off, and I'm like, remembering this, so here's Kate, and so I immediately get beside her, and I'm walking with her, and she starts to stumble, and she starts to, and she's calling out to Luke the whole time, that's my son, he's running around, and she really loves his attention, and so she's like, Luke, 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 and I'm like, she's getting ready to walk off, and I have to grab her and, and turn her. And I had to do that dozens of times. And now she didn't know why I was doing that. But I was taking her in my hand and I was walking with her so that she wouldn't fall and ruin herself. And that's the Spirit of God with us. We don't need to fear God. When He comes to us and convicts us with the Holy Spirit, we don't need to run we need to recognize that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance, right? The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. That's out of Romans. That we need to know that, believe that, walk in that. As men, that's what a man is. A man is the one that repents when asked, that is sensitive in his spirit enough to say, God, forgive me. And so here for Adam, he misses it. He's playing the victim Number, number D, letter D. Adam's curse is based on the reversal of God's original created order. Eve's curse is also based on her usurping God's created order. <clears throat> when they sinned, God brought a curse. He definitely brought it. For Adam here in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then God said, Because you, and listen to this, what's his sin here? 
Because you ate? No. Because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate. The very first thing God mentions is you should speak the word, not follow your wife. She's not speaking the word over you. You're speaking the word to your wife. You need to set the pace and set the tone. And he didn't. And says, and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you. You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So this idea, you wonder why work is hard sometimes. Work was before the fall. It just wasn't as painful. It wasn't as hard. It wasn't a challenge. It was different. It was what we're made for. We're still made for work. But understand there's a complexity and a difficulty in it that is to remind us that there will be a price for every compromise we make. There will be a price whenever a man is passive. There will be a price. And you're going to pay later or you're going to be assertive now and godly now and reap it later. And Paul said, hey, we're going to reap what we sow. And the law of the harvest is true for men It's a spiritual principle that if we compromise in our manhood, you will reap it down the road. And Adam has reaped it, and we reap it in Adam in just the idea of work. And now, letter E, Adam's sin unleashed the destructive curse of male domination. And we've spoken about that already. It does not excuse male domination at all. And it's interesting that in our society today, I say interesting, let me choose a different word. It's tragic in our world today. It's tragic what happens with women. And and the verse here, it says, Woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That is not a nurturing rule. That is a dominion term. That's the same term used in the book of Judges when other nations ruled over Israel. It's over them when Gideon told Israel, I'm not going to rule over you. Gideon said, I don't want to do that over you. Yes, I'm in authority because God's placed me here. I've spoken the word of God to you, but I don't want to dominate you as a nation, right? I mean, that's what America is not made over dominating presidents. It should be, you know, never that, but... My fear is we're going to move that way. We're going to get presidents that vote and raise and press everyone down to bolster themselves. That's what Soviet Union did. They had a ruling class that pressed everyone else down. Well, that's not the heartbeat here. And so this idea of domination is is not a biblical thing. And this is the tragedy. One out of four women in America are abused by a man, and most likely that man is their husband. And in fact, more women go to the emergency room in the hospital every year for abuse from a spouse or a boyfriend than car wrecks, heart attacks, every other cause combined. Domestic violence is the number one injurer of ladies right now going into emergency rooms. Now that stat's a few years old but I would say it's probably not diminished when you look at the rate of pornography, hardcore pornography that's violent in nature, that's about domination, it's not about sex, it's not about romance, it's not about love, it's not about relationship, it's about 
literal domination and anger being poured out upon a woman. And that that has just, like a cancer, gone through mobile phones, internet, video sales, that the industry, pornographic industry, has greater revenue than all of the major professional sports combined. Greater annual revenue. That it's five or six times the revenue of Hollywood every year, just off of DVD sales. That's not just websites. You had websites in there and you had everything else. It's, it's a cancer. It's part of the fall. And that women subject themselves to that, that they participate in that. And we as men need to stand up against that. And we as men need to be a voice for the women that are being dominated. And here, this, this, this consequence, the next to last, is the judgment. Adam dies. And, and if you remember real quickly, Adam ate, and did he fall down dead? No. So it wasn't a physical death. And I wonder if Adam, the reason maybe he sat back with Eve was this. Adam was probably, as he heard the serpent, like, I would love to be equal with God, too. I mean, how many of us think we could do as good a job as our boss, right? And if y'all, just honestly, there's places I've been, like, you know, when I taught school, I was like, man, if I was the principal of the school, I could do it a whole lot better than this. And I sort of thought that, and I mean, and we should think that. I mean, we should have confidence that our ideas are good and that we could lead and all those things, right? But, but here, Adam is here like, Maybe I can be equal. Okay. I'm not going to say a thing. If she touches the fruit and she eats the fruit and she doesn't fall down dead, guess what? God was wrong. Serpent's right. I can be just like God. And there's no consequence. If Eve eats the fruit, she falls down dead. I didn't do it. She did it. There's no consequence for me. And I'll know that God's truthful. And guess what? He'll probably make me another Isha. That he'll choose better. He'll make a better Isha for me. I mean, do y'all see that? He's like, he's not even loving his, his, his wife. He's laying her out almost like the cupbearer for a king. And our wives aren't cupbearers. And our, our girlfriends aren't to be our cupbearer. Does that make sense? It's not in Scripture. It's just an idea. But I, I think that might have been at the heart of it. And the Lord God commanded, from any tree of the garden you may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not, for in the day you eat from it you shall surely die. So this judgment of death also extends to all those who come after him. This death is a spiritual death. This death is a manhood death. This is an inversion, a separation from God death. And we're going to realize that that is the thing that we have inherited from him that he, not Eve, is charged with the fall of the human race. And our natures are that way due to that. Um, I'm going to give you a verse from Romans 5.19. Through Adam's disobedience, everyone was made a sinner. And that is one of the most awful pronouncements in Scripture. And yet, it's also not the final pronouncement of Scripture. Christ is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He is the first Word of God. He is the Word of God, and He is the final Word of God. And the final Word of God is redemption and reconciliation, right? We're not abandoned in that. That is our hope. I'm telling you, I don't know your pasts, and I don't know on your manhood plan how much baggage you've got, but I'm telling you, we all have the same baggage of the, the wounded heart, the black heart that Afshin talked about. And so we are here today 
and it encourages me, and I exhort you to keep on the path that we're saying we want to be transformed. We don't want to just sit back passively. We want to step up. And so the last thing here, and this is grace. This is when grace enters the story, is that Adam renames his wife as a continued sign of his leadership even after the fall. Your previous failures do not remove the DNA from you that you're made to lead. Your moral failure doesn't erase the fact that you as a man are meant to lead in the home, you're meant to lead in the marketplace, you're meant to lead in this world. That you are to be assertive, not to dominate, but to serve, to lift up and to elevate, to hold other men accountable, to be salt and to be light. And it's not abdicated. And notice what Adam names Isha. He gives her a new name and he calls her Eve. Mother of life. It's a beautiful thing that he had hope in the midst of this, that God allowed him to continue to lead. And we're going to see the grace of God again is actually removing him from the garden. Because now, out of Eve will come through time, space, history, a man by the name of Christ. Jesus Christ will flow and He will be the redemption of the fall and He will be the second Adam. And next week, that's what Don is going to lead us into is the exploration of that. And so let's, uh, let's pray real quickly. I hope you all don't feel beat up today. I hope you are encouraged. I don't know what you have done in the past or where you've been or where you're at, but I know God has great plans for you. And he's asking us to shun passivity, to lay it to the side, to step up as men. And so, Father God, we come before you as men that are saying today we stand here only because of you. And God, if we stand only in our physical strength, that's, that's one thing. But God, we want to come, we want to stand in the strength of your spirit. We want to stand in the shadow of Christ. We want to stand infused of his spirit we want to stand in the authentic manhood that you have created us for. Bless the time at the tables. Bless the relationships of the men. Help us to be transparent. But more than that, just to hear from you and to say yes and to apply the things you've spoken into us. We love you, Father, and we need you. We bless you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.